0: Welcome to the County Pulse, episode 7. This podcast is developed by the Virginia Association of Counties and shares with our listeners the pulse of Virginia county governments. I'm Joe Lurch, Director of Local Government Policy of the Virginia Association of Counties, and your host for this segment on the transition to next generation 911. Our guest today is Steve Marlzoff, Integrated Services Program Director for the Virginia Information Technology Technologies Agency or VITA. Steve has extensive experience in 911 communications, including serving as the 911 center manager for Prince William County from 1990 to 2000. Welcome, Steve.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: For our listeners who may not be familiar, can you tell us the role your agency plays in providing support for the 123 emergency call centers in Virginia, also known as public safety
1: answering points or PSAPs? Sure. Um, Vita, which is the Virginia Information Technologies Agency, was uh, has a division, the Public Safety Communications Division, that's uh, tasked with uh, uh, helping provide us uh, financial support and technical support to the local 911 centers. We also provide staff support to the E 911 Services Board. The 911 Services Board is legislatively tasked with administering the Wireless E 911 Fund. Uh, which is generated for, by a 75 cent surcharge on cell phone bills. Um, and they're also there to do the planning for 911 uh, to make sure that as uh, tech, telecommunications technology grows and expands that we're able to respond to that and provide the services to our citizens. Great. Now tell us about
0: the migration from analog to digital technology for 911 services, uh, which has been in the news a bit lately, and, and what Virginia's counties can expect as we make this transition.
1: Sure. This is the biggest change to happen to 911 in in 40 years. Um, Unfortunately, the 911 network we have today has not kept pace with technology, and it's still analog-based or voice-based. So what that means is we have very limited ability to process data, and most of our citizens now carry around a device that's very data-rich, a smartphone, and we can't really receive any data from that and any additional information. So as a result, we need to Replace the uh, backbone network that processes 911 calls and transition it from the analog circuit switch network to a digital packet switched or IP network. So what we'll be doing is actually replacing what's currently being provided by Verizon or CenturyLink in the vast majority of the state with something that is provided by an IP service provider and and the services that will allow us to process and route the 911 calls to the right uh, PSAP for, for processing.
0: Yeah, and, and it's funny, you mentioned that, you know, the cell phone, it really is a computer people are carrying now. So what, are the, what are the kind of data that
1: you think you could use? Well, the there is uh, improved location data that um, a lot of you may have seen articles recently about the fact that Uber and some of these other apps have better location data than 911 has, and that's because we can't receive it. So uh, there's improved location data. There potentially could be health data that's associated uh, with uh, monitoring devices or that are linked to your phone. Um, there's also information uh, about um, uh, history, um, you know, of, of calls that you've had in the past or ad- additional information that can that can come in. And, of course, most of us know of Instagram and, and uh, Snapchat and those photos, videos that people share now to social media could be shared with 911 so we could see the fires in California and where they are and how big they are or how bad an accident it is or, or that sort of thing. So it's all about getting us as much information as we can to get the right units on the scene to mitigate the disaster or the emergency before it it spreads. So
0: change is coming, and change is good in this instance. So now tell us a little bit about kind of the timing, because it's not going to happen all at once. Not all 123 PSAPs are going to do this once. You probably have a plan on regions that are going to go first and kind of move along. and, And how is that
1: progressing? So in January, the 911 Services Board adopted a deployment plan, and just recently they adopted a, a modification to the schedule that was in it actually at their uh, November 8, uh, 2018 uh, board meeting. Um, but essentially, it looks at doing the most populous areas first, and then deploying based on uh, the uh, the individual 911 networks. We actually don't have one 911 network currently; we have nine. And uh, some of them are kind of small with only 8 or 10 uh, PSAPs connected to them. Some of them, the largest is the one in the Richmond area that has 32 uh, 91 centers connected to it. But what we're going to essentially do is, the plane is, is after Northern Virginia, who's kind of leading uh, the, the, the process, we're going to start in the east in the tidewater and move west. And we're going to start the middle of uh, calendar 19 in July of uh, 2019, and we 're going to progress west and and hopefully finish by December of two thousand and twenty one so that 's the schedule and
0: and of course, I understand too there was legislation last year uh, that I think Verizon wanted to say hey let 's have a date certain which I think is what twenty twenty three so we 're even going faster than that
1: uh, correct and, and the reason for wanting to uh to, to put that date certain is they're still maintaining this old analog network uh, to support nine one one and they wanted to have a date certain to be able to say, okay, everybody in nine one at least has to be off of it by the by that date. So it gives them some some certainty. But um, we don't want to be the last group on the on the network. We want to be able to migrate off as quickly as we can. And, and we think realistically, it can be done by December of twenty twenty one.
0: Now you've been communicating to all the the various regions and all the counties and cities and towns, and I know that part of what's going to happen is you're going to have to take out the old equipment, put in the new equipment, um, and there's going to be a cost to that. But the cost, as I understand it, is going to be, the capital cost is going to be covered by the Commonwealth. Can you uh, describe that?
1: Sure. And and remembering that this is replacing the network coming into the 911 center. So there will be some upgrade that has to happen to the telephone answering equipment within the uh, 911 center. But um, typically, that's Sixty thousand dollars or less, Uh, and that would cost would be fully covered by the uh, 911 Services Board through a grant process, that funding process that we have. Um, In addition to that, there there are some uh, geographic information systems or GIS data requirements for Next Gen 911. So anything to get the data ready for nine one one and it's really about accurate address information, knowing where every address is in in the uh, jurisdiction um, the the cost to get that to a a, a quality state um, would be also be covered by the board so we we've tried to look at every locality in Virginia and in fact have given them uh, what we're calling a migration proposal that says this is how you go from where you are to full next generation nine one one um, with using a contract that Fairfax County has negotiated and competed that was awarded to AT&T um, as their service provider. So uh, at this point, that's the only contract that that we're aware of that is actively being used in, in Virginia. It's being used for the Northern Virginia Project. So we wanted to be able to give all the rest of the jurisdictions in Virginia who, who could use that contract more information about what it would take to, to actually deploy and all the hidden costs and and impacts to their entire operation, and and we've done that through this migration proposal process. We have delivered all 123, and I've been out meeting with uh, local county administrators, boards of supervisors over the last few weeks, and and even in regional meetings, presenting them to say, this is what it really means. This is what the impact is going to be. Now, unfortunately, Next Generation 911 does cost more than the Enhanced 911 we have today, there were 12 localities that will see a cost reduction in their monthly recurring costs, um, but the uh, uh, the vast majority of localities do see a fairly significant increase, and um, and and that's driven in large part because the way enhanced 911, the current 911 is built, is based on the number of wireline subscribers, and the new uh, next generation 911. Because not everybody has a wireline phone and many of sure. them have wireless phones and so forth is more more but not totally population based. So we're seeing some shifting in the cost. And there's also a minimum cost to establish the IP connectivity uh, into every 911 center. So we are seeing some cost increases. Now the nine one services board, since localities haven't had time to plan for that, are trying or are committed to providing twenty-four months of the increase in cost, so whatever a locality pays Verizon or CenturyLink today would be the amount that they would continue to pay for 24 months after they deploy the next-gen service. And that's true regardless of whether they deploy AT&T or some other solution, because ultimately it is their choice.
0: Now, and, and these recurring monthly costs, you got those, as I understand, from doing a bit of uh, data outreach or survey from the PSAPs, and you think that those, those estimates may
1: change over time? So there's two pieces to figuring out what that delta is from what they pay today to what they will pay tomorrow. The first is getting from the locality what that cost they pay today. And um, bluntly, that's been more of a challenge than we expected. Um, We've had some localities who have estimated what they think they pay, um, but actually reading one of those bills that they get from Verizon or CenturyLink has, has been a bit of a challenge to make sure we can identify what is truly just 911 and not what's radio or some, some other type of, uh, of circuit that they're getting. So we, we do have to do some validation of those numbers, and we do know that a few of them, uh, a couple of localities have already reached out to us and say, oops, we missed part of the bill when we told you that. We didn't have this, uh, and, and so forth. The second piece is the AT&T piece, um, and AT&T based their cost on two things primarily. Um, one is the population and we have discovered some anomalies in the population that was provided to them as part of the Fairfax procurement. Um, Bluntly, it's a little high, um, some Mm -hmm. of the the population estimates. So um, we need to correct those and and make sure that AT&T has the best population data on which to base the monthly recurrent cost. And the second is the circuit costs, the IP connectivity. Um, uh, The quote from uh, or the uh, contract with uh, Fairfax that AT&T negotiated um, is now over a year old, and the prices were actually generated even six months before that. So the pricing is about 18 months old. So when a locality goes to order the service, AT&T would update that. And since, as we know, technology gets cheaper over time, those same circuits... Um, we have found in the Northern Virginia project to actually come in a, a bit cheaper than they were previously. So there's a chance that the AT&T costs, monthly recurring costs, will go down as well. So whatever that delta is between what we can verify as the monthly recurring costs that they're currently paying and whatever the actual cost turns out to be with AT&T is that delta the board would pay. Okay, thank you. Now. Explain a little bit about the cooperative
0: procurement uh, with AT&T. That's an option for all 123 PSAPs, or 122 at this point. Um, and it, the other option is to go out to bid and maybe find an
1: alternative contract, correct? Sure. Uh, in the end, this is purely a local decision of what solution to deploy. And we believe um, Fairfax County allowed part of my staff to be a non-voting member of their procurement. So we went through the process. It was very, very competitive process. So the contract uh, we believe with at t is a, a very good contract, and uh, it included the Northern Virginia localities, some localities in Maryland, but it also included every locality in Virginia is listed in that contract. So we believe it's available for use as a cooperative procurement. But I'm not a lawyer, and mm-hmm. and at the end, you know, you need to consult local uh, procurement authority to determine whether or not it is a valid contract and 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 can be used. And if it can, the locality can absolutely choose that and the migration proposal they currently have is based on that. But let's say a locality looked at it and said, well, we're not sure it meets our needs. Um, they could absolutely go out and do it with their own RFP. Uh, and in fact, uh, Virginia Beach, um, a- as part of the Tidewater Group, has indicated that they intend to go out to an RFP in the, in the coming weeks um, in order to check to see if there is any other new technology or lower cost solution or, or that sort of thing. Um, or there potentially could be some other contract out there that we're not aware of. We've, we've heard there's one from Texas that's available to Virginia localities. But, again, it, it's a local procurement decision. If a locality wanted to go that route, what we would do is update or create a new migration proposal for that solution. Um, that way, a locality would be able to compare side by side what does it look like. For an AT&T solution, what does it look like for some other solution, both with the costs and, and the things? Now, most, probably 85 90% of the migration proposal is the same regardless of the solution provider because it requires the same GIS data, it requires the same uh, calling call handling equipment upgrades and, and things like that. So most of the work that needs to be done in the PSAP to be ready for next gen, it doesn't matter who the solution provider is. And
0: since Fairfax kicked this off with Mm -hmm. AT&T, if you go with another provider, whatever technology you employ has to be compatible with AT&T. Is that correct?
1: Correct. That would be the only other condition on the funding from the 911 Services Board for anyone who chooses a different solution would be they need to make sure that it's compatible with whoever is in the state first. So AT&T is first. So the next solution would have to be compatible with those. If there was a third network to come into, a solution provider to come into the state, they would have to be compatible with both AT&T and whoever else is before, yeah, and whoever the second one was. And we need to, and it should not be an issue because there are national standards for next generation 911. However, um, this is still new, the standard's still new, and we don't have... Uh, And a lot of examples across the country where these networks are are working together um, seamlessly yet. But, um, you know, it it should – there is a standard for it from the National Emergency Number Association called uh, I-3 that uh, has – has the baseline for the them the, to be interconnected. And what we really expect this to be is that there will be more than one network in Virginia, and it'll be a lot like the Internet. We talk about the Internet as if it's one thing, but it's not really. It's thousands of networks interconnected, and, and Next Generation 911 will be the same way. It'll be, hopefully not thousands, but several networks interconnected, because even if we all selected AT&T in Virginia, we're going to have to interconnect to West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina, Maryland, and the District of Columbia, and And North Carolina and Tennessee have signed with AT&T, but but, uh, West Virginia and Kentucky have not. So we're going to have to figure out nationally how we interconnect these systems.
0: Now, one of the things that I've learned from you in in this process is you're going to have to make sure the connectivity is there, particularly in rural areas. So there's going to be, I guess, a a certain amount of, of fiber that needs to be laid to get to some of these call centers. Could you explain that
1: a little Sure. In order to guarantee uh, five nines of availability, which is 99.999% uh, uptime, which is no more than five minutes of downtime per year, um, AT&T has specified that they want to have diverse connectivity, two paths different that don't touch each other um, into the PSAP uh, from their network all the way into to the 911 center and into the equipment. Um, since AT&T doesn't have a local presence in a lot of these places, and we're talking about AT&T, the telephone company, not AT&T Wireless. They are two different entities uh, for the purposes of of this. So we're talking about the telephone company part. They contract with either CenturyLink or Verizon to provide that last mile of connectivity. Mm -hmm. So what they've asked for is separate, diverse fiber connections into every PSAP in Virginia. Now, there were a handful where it's just not available. Um, it, 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 and they, we are looking at other options for them. But for the vast majority, all, of a, that all but about 10, um, there is a diverse fiber capability. Now, for some, it's not an insignificant task. Um, the, the, the one we've been using as an example who has actually uh, made a, a request, a funding request to the board is Matthews County. And Matthews County, it's going to require about six miles of fiber to be Mm -hmm. laid um, and installed by Verizon uh, at a cost of about $1.8 million. And uh, because of the importance of uh, 911, we're committed to to doing that. We are going to look at other options that might be available as well. But we feel very strongly that 911 is one of those services that government has to provide. Now, the other sidebar benefit is with laying six miles of fiber in Matthews County or any county where we have to do it, if we can leverage that to the benefit of the locality, uh County is looking at moving forward as well and is in discussions with AT&T and, and Verizon about how they might be able to leverage the investment there. Um, you know, it just makes sense. it's. it's so not- you're talking
0: about maybe extra strands of fiber, so kind of a dig once or you know hang, hang
1: once policy. Absolutely. And and that way you can take advantage of maybe getting the work done at the same time so you don't have to trench twice. You're trenching once. Exactly. And and, and being able to to install. So we really do see some benefit with this. And and probably the biggest benefit, of course, is to 911 to make sure that that service is always there and always ready. Sure.
0: Um, you know, this has been great information, and, of course, you've been doing the outreach to, you know, all the call centers and to the counties. Um, I think you recently did a webinar, which uh, I was on, that I think we had probably over 120 uh, yes. attendees on. It was very informational. Um, you've also provided um, us with kind of the initial cost estimates, uh, and we're going to link this to a story we're putting out in our county connections that will include a, mm. a link to that as well. What is it do you think uh, localities you know, need to know? What's the most important thing? Or, or as you've been out and about, what, what are you hearing?
1: So I think the initial reaction was one of concern with the timing of, of how quickly we were hoping to get decisions made. And you know, the locality is ultimately in control. And um, if it takes longer to get that comfort level and commitment, then it takes a, l- a little bit longer. Um, as I mentioned, in the Richmond area, we have 32 localities, on the, uh, the, the 911 network for the Richmond area. And um, because while we do this transition, we have to pay for both the old and the new, um, we have a, a, a large transition cost for the longer time it takes to get all 32 off of that old network. As soon as we do, the old network goes away. We don't have to pay for it anymore. But during that transition time, we have a pretty large cost. So the, the amount of coordination, cooperation, and communications that needs to happen among those 32 localities is really important to make sure that we, we're we trying to keep that to a six-month block. So everybody has to agree to deploy in the same six-month block. They Whatever time it takes for them to make that agreement, you know, we want to make sure that we reduce the cost to the citizens of the Commonwealth as much as possible, and and that's why we're doing all this outreach and and education. But we we have had a lot of uh, or, or a fair amount of concern of how are we going to get all thirty two to agree, and how are we going to get, and I think the the. The best way is getting everyone together to talk about it. And we may end up having to shift the schedule a little bit here and there and move this network over uh, ahead of this network or, or this or that to make sure that we're you know, moving forward and advancing the ball. But uh, we're, we're confident that, uh, again, even if the locality doesn't choose AT&T, as long as they whatever solution they choose, they do it within the same time period, um, then we can manage our costs and we can get the system deployed. Okay, well, thank you. Well,
0: I think that wraps up uh, episode seven. I want to thank you, Steve, for coming in and for the work that you do on behalf of the Commonwealth and and the the localities you work with. So, And we will provide uh, some of this information on the podcast link as well as to our article. Thank you.